Today we're talking triheptanoin. Hello, in this episode of the podcast, we're discussing the paper Effects of Triheptanoin in Patients with Long-Chain Fatty Acid Oxidation Disorders, results from an open-label long-term extension study. I'm joined today by Professor Jerry Vockley of UPMC Children's in Pittsburgh, the paper's lead author. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Now, in addition to this recent paper, you've also just written a highly emotive view from the inside editorial, rare disease in the time of COVID-19. That piece really captures your passion for your work and your dedication to your patients, but also mentions that you've been leading the development program for triheptanoin for the last decade. What is triheptanoin and who is it for? Uh, thank you for uh, acknowledging the editorial. It was a, a very difficult situation. And uh, I think when we view our, our successes, we also have to uh, recognize that uh, we still have a ways to go. And uh, that really was uh, part of what I wanted to say. Uh, triheptanoin is a, a synthetic triglycerol that is made of uh, three groups of heptanoate, C7, attached to the hydroxyl arms of the uh, glycerol backbone. So it is analogous to the classical medium-chain triglyceride oil, which is a triglyceride, sometimes of purified C8, but more often C8, C10, C12 in decreasing uh, concentrations. Uh, the mechanism of action of triheptanoin is to provide a more balanced uh, set of substrates to the tricarboxylic acid or the TCA uh, cycle. If you break down octanoate from, for example, C8 MCT oil, the only substrate that you get for the TCA cycle is uh, acetyl-CoA or a two-carbon unit. With C7, you get two-carbon units, um, acetyl-CoA, and a three-carbon unit, propionyl-CoA. And you require both for optimum activity of the TCA cycle. Uh, since that cycle is in part compensating for the de energy deficiency that is part of the impairment of long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder, it's even more important. And so optimizing uh, the, the substrate delivery to it is, is really the basis of, of activity uh, or action of, of the medication. This was a big study with 75 patients included. Which patient groups were included and what were you looking for? These are individuals with long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders, and that includes, uh, or the study included individuals with uh, CPT2, carnitine palmitol transferase 2 deficiency, very long-chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency, or VLCAD, and then there's a protein uh, complex called the trifunctional protein, and you can either have all of those deficient, which, which is trifunctional protein or TFB deficiency, or you can have uh, just the um, third step in the pathway, the, the enzyme that does that is long-chain 3-hydroxyacyl-CoA dehydrogenase, or LCHAD, so you can have an isolated LCHAD deficiency. So the study included all of those. It did not look at two other uh, disorders because of how rare they are, which is uh, CPT1 deficiency, carnitine palmitol transferase 1, or the carnitine, acyl carnitine translocase deficiency, CACT, though uh, both of those show up in the long-term follow-up uh, that was, uh, was reported in this paper. This was essentially a composite group of patients that either participated in the formal 
clinical trials for triheptanone that led to approval for the drug here in the United States, as well as an even greater number of patients who had uh, been getting the drug through uh, one compassionate use protocol or another. And so they were all lumped into this follow-up study, which allowed us to to look at them over a longer period of time or start them on a compassionate use basis uh, outside of the clinical trials and follow them at the same time. So it's a lot of patients with a long follow-up period. What did you find? The study used a, a composite statistic to follow patients. Patients were divided uh, into uh, having one of three basic clinical phenotypes, or we we captured the three basic types of uh, clinical events, hypoglycemia, cardiomyopathy, or rhabdomyolysis. And uh, patients were characterized for the number of these events that they had after starting triheptanoin versus the number of events that they had uh, based on retrospective analysis of their clinical histories uh, before starting uh, triheptanoin. Uh, so this was open label, and it wasn't double-blinded, uh, but there was a very careful uh, capture of the uh, events that they had prior to starting. Uh, and of course, then we were able to catch the, the, the events post-starting uh, prospectively. If you go back to the study that was published for uh, approval of the of the drug or one of the studies, that only looked at 29 patients. And in that study, there was an overall drop, a statistically significant drop of 50% in, in clinical events. And that was dominated by the hypoglycemia and the cardiomyopathy phenotypes but but there was also a less significant drop in the um, episodes of rhabdomyolysis. We saw that pattern continue in this larger group of patients and over a longer period of time, um, on, on average, uh, almost two years for the folks who rolled over from the existing studies and, uh, and almost 16 months for the patients who entered the study uh, naively, i.e. they had not been treated with triheptanoin and, uh, and were then started on it because they were having problems and, and their physicians wanted to get uh, triheptanoin for them. Uh, and, and, and so we, we saw very much the same pattern. The uh, uh, hypoglycemia was almost eliminated. The reduction in cardiomyopathy was uh, quite dramatic. Uh, on the order of about 70 or 75%. And the uh, reduction in rhabdomyolysis uh, was carried over long-term from the rollover study. But interestingly, it was much higher, uh, a greater reduction in the patients who came in naively. So, So in other words, if they were in an active phase of their disease, the triheptanoin seemed to be uh, more effective than if they were in relative steady state uh, prior to starting the, the, the triheptanoin. We also saw a decrease uh, now statistically significant in the hospitalizations uh, re- related to the, these, these clinical events uh, because of the larger N. So it really solidified the, the, the findings from the original clinical trial and gave us a longer-term view of uh, patients on that uh, on in those trials. And is the benefit equal across the different long-chain disorders? It's probably similar across them because the numbers, even though seventy it sounds like a lot of, of of patients, it's still relatively small if you start 
subdividing into one of six diagnoses. And and, and so I, I, I think it's fair to say it was at, at least effective to some extent in all of them. And we'll just have to do longer term studies and more studies uh, to to see if there's uh, if there's any benefit, uh, greater benefit in one disorder versus the other. Triheptanoa is now available as a licensed preparation in the U.S. I wonder how, if you could comment on how it should be used in long-chain fat oxidation disorder patients going forwards. And do you know what progress has been made towards availability in other territories? Yes, it is approved. Uh, it was approved as of uh, June in uh, 2020 uh, by the FDA. And the the optimum use of it is still very much up in the air. Uh, clearly, the patients in the clinical trials were all symptomatic, and so they they were they were patients who were who were started um, uh, sometime uh, after the newborn period when we now identify those patients in the United States, because triheptanoin provides all of the same benefits of even chain MCT oils and goes at one better because of, of the anaplerotic effect, providing the, the propionate to the TCA cycle, I, I actually find it very hard to come up with a reason not to use it in one of these patients. And one could, could look at the spectrum of disease and say, well, if it's very mild and you wouldn't otherwise treat them in the early going, then you wouldn't use triheptanoin. And there's a, a subset of patients who fall into that category. But if, if you make the decision to use the even chain oils, traditional MCT oil, I think there's very little reason to not use uh, C7. And, and it, it certainly has been my experience that we, we should just use it in all of those, uh, all of those patients. I've had experiences of patients who have been on C7, uh, triheptanoin, have stopped it, have had recurrence of symptoms, and then went back on it and got better again. So, I, you know, it, it physiologically does more than MCT oil. As far as making it available in, in other countries, I, I know that clinical trials are being planned. The, the EMA in, in Europe was uh, asking for something that's likely going to be double-blind comparison of triheptanoin to traditional MCT oil, as opposed to the open-label design that, that was used in the, in the United States. And so uh, I think we can look forward to seeing those, those studies uh, happen and see what other countries do to, uh, to follow. I would very much like to see a study um, that involves enrolling uh, newborns at, at birth and uh, uh, following them with some combination of, of uh, double-blinded C8 versus C7 and, and see if there's a, a difference in, in their outcome. But one needs to be really careful with that because there are at least uh, a couple of these disorders that are so severe you would not withhold C7 knowingly. Um, and so it would be presumably with the patients who had milder disease in the early going. Anaplerotic therapies have been discussed in inherited metabolic disease for quite some time. Are, th are there going to be other uses for triheptanoin or similar compounds? The the answer is yes. Now keep in mind I'm 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 simply going on theory. So so this is all uh, made up or flight of fancy, if you will. But I but I think there's good reason to think that this has a role in other bioenergetic disorders. The if you have to rely on the TCA cycle, uh, then then you want it to be running optimally. And so providing uh, an anaplerotic uh, supplement or or medication, it should be better than a than a 
than than going with one that is, that isn't. I, I think there is likely to be a role um, in mitochondrial respiratory chain deficiencies. Very difficult clinical trial to do, though. Um, I think that there's uh, potentially some a role in in the glycogen storage disorders, and I would love to see it utilized uh, or, or looked at in in disorders of uh, glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. I've even had my cardiologists here who have seen quite dramatic effects on the heart come to me and say, what about nonspecific heart disease? Might there be some benefit there? And I think the answer is um, potentially. There are other disorders where anaplerosis could be useful, but triheptinone would be the wrong drug to use. So for example, propionic acidemia and methylmalonic acidemia, where there is a block at propionate going to succinate or propionyl-CoA going to succinyl-CoA, and, and so anaplerosis is a valid approach there, but you couldn't use triheptanoin for it because it works through propionate or propionyl-CoA. So the future is bright for triheptanoin then? I hope so. You know, it, it, part, of, part of this probably comes down to the old adage that if, if the only tool you have is, is, a, is a hammer, then every problem is a nail. But um, it, it has been a very effective tool in, in, in a lot of ways. And so figuring out where its best use is uh, makes sense. Thank you so much for your time. It's always good to share information about effective therapies in metabolic disease. If you'd like to read the paper yourself, then search for Effects of Triheptanoin on the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease website. And if you'd like to hear more from us, including how triheptanoin and skim breast milk were used to treat a newborn infant with a long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder, then search for JMD Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Jerry, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.